Well, hey there, preachers. Today we are going to take a look at um, number four, installment number four, week four of five in a series at Pursue God called uh, When God Speaks. It's our series on uh, some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. We've talked about Haggai, Zechariah, and Micah. And today we're going to talk about Zephaniah and the, and the message in uh, the book of Zephaniah. And the title for today's message is When God Gets Replaced. And we're on the call with uh, Pastor Dave Mickelson, who took the lead on this sermon. Um, Dave, why don't, why don't we maybe start with really the big idea here? We're talking in this sermon about a spiritual slide. So why don't you explain that? Well, I think, you know, the, the hook I'm going to use in this, and you have to live in certain parts of the country to understand this word. It's called street creep. And street creep uh, occurs when certain types of soil have this tendency to move, even though the streets have been laid and the houses have been laid. And it's this slow but very sure process whereby the street literally starts to slide towards the driveways of homes. And then the driveways gradually slide towards the foundations of the homes. And sometimes literally the foundations get moved. And so this can ruin the home. And really what Zechariah is saying is we need to be careful of this kind of spiritual street creep because God can be slowly and subtly replaced when we slide away from him, that our spiritual slide has the potential to damage the kind of foundation of the spiritual life. This sounds like a California problem that I guess, right? No, actually, it's a Midwest problem. Really? Uh, it occurs in St. Louis, and mm. uh, my wife and I spent a number of years there, and uh, it, it actually happened to my mother-in-law. Wow. So, yeah, it, but, but it is such a good word picture for what Zephaniah is talking about, um, and this, this tendency, not just in the Old Testament, but with us, to, to just slowly and but surely slide away from God, that mm. instead of changing the culture, the culture ends up shaping us. Yeah. And, and there's this tendency to replace God when this slide happens. And this is what happens in Zephaniah's days, that, that the people so slid away from God that they started replacing him with idols and with all kinds of inappropriate um, lifestyle choices. Okay, so let's let's go over sort of the structure of your sermon. You've got f- kind of four movements in the sermon. The first three are about how a spiritual slide works. And so what you say is first, it begins when we replace God with idols, and then second, it advances when we live like spiritual atheists, and then third, it destroys us when we when we think that there are no consequences for our actions. So I really like those three points. We'll unpack those in a second here. But then finally, you're going to end on this on this positive note, which God always does through the minor prophets, even though we don't deserve it. You're going to say that no matter how far we slide, God provides a way of escape. Okay, so I like your structure. It's simple, and it's it's really rooted in the text in Zephaniah. So why don't you w- walk us through that that first one after your really good, solid setup, um, you say that this, a spiritual slide begins when we replace God with idols. How did that work in Zephaniah? Yeah, first of all, you know, I just want the teachers to know this is a really serious book. 
Um, if you think about um, minor profits, you, you understand they're, they're usually giving some kind of admonition, some kind of challenge, some kind of encouragement. Well, the first words after a brief introduction here are words of impending judgment. Mm. And so God is really serious here. He, he has uh, graphic images that he uses. And the first one really is this concept of God being replaced. And um, God says in Zephaniah 1, 4, and 5, I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist. I will destroy every last trace of their bell worship. And God is really fierce here. And he's upset that they've replaced him with Baal and Moloch, these pagan idols, this Baal, this Canaanite god of fertility, and Moloch, this Ammonite chief god, and and God's really upset about this because this slide has gone so far that God now has been removed. Yeah, and you do a good job. In the notes, you talk a little bit, and you probably don't have a whole lot of time to explain this, but you you describe these two God, these two idols. Just, just in case people don't realize how terrible this was, right? It wasn't just worshiping a, uh, you know, wor- worshiping your PlayStation, like... Baal worship involved these terrible sexual acts, right? And yeah, I mean, Baal worship, um, I, I just can only imagine. Um, it, it's every kind of awful sexual act to mm. please this God of fertility. Mm. Um, every kind of spiritual perversion you can think happened, happened. And you have to remember, this is God's people are getting involved in this. And and Molech is, is no different. Um, people were literally sacrificing their children, they were burning their children mm. to this God so that their sins could be forgiven. So this is really corrupt, uh, oppressive, um, murderous kind of actions God's people are involved in. And so he is really upset. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's a good thing we don't have idols like that today, right, Dave? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think if you read the Old Testament, you see that really nothing's changed. Um, and and let's just remember, a lot of modern thinkers think, oh, well, we, we don't have idols. Well, an idol is anything or anyone that takes the place of God. It's anything or anyone that we have to have more than God. And it can be a place, it can be a person, it can be a thing, it can be ourselves. But idols always have one thing in common. They promise more than they can deliver. And then secondly, they always lead to bondage. They always lead to spiritual oppression and bondage. Yeah, and I think, you know, Molech, I think if you think in today's culture, what do we sacrifice our children to? I think a lot of people sacrifice their children to their career or to their money or to their lifestyle, right? So I think we— Yeah, those idols are just as prevalent today as they ever were back then. Yeah, yeah, and the sexual sin that we— again, that we can get into today. Um, again, that's the bail thing. So I think it's, you know, same same problem, different names for today. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then you move on and you say, okay, so it, the slide begins when, when, you, when you have these idols, but then the slide advances when we live like spiritual atheists, and that comes from uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Yeah, I think um, Zephaniah says, and I'll destroy those who used to worship me, but now long, no longer do. They no longer ask for God's guidance or seek his blessings. And 
And a spiritual atheist, because some of you are probably going, wait a minute, how does that, what do you mean spiritual atheist? Those words don't really go together. They seem like a contradiction in terms. But, but I, I want to use this in a provocative sense. Um, a spiritual atheist is someone who claims to love God on the one hand and worship God, but lives without him. It, it's someone who used to worship and serve God, but now worships and serves idols, um, used to look to God for direction and guidance, but they no longer do. Or used to say, God, I, I want and need your blessing, but now they go to idols for that. Today, we might say, these are people who play church, that they know the words, or it's just a weekend thing. But really, they don't live anything like Christ. And so, um, again, this is so modern. It's so contemporary in its application. Yeah, you might even say, preachers, you might even say at this point, a spiritual atheist would be sitting in church right now listening to this, you know? Yes. I mean, you're, mm. you, 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 you go to church, maybe even go to church pretty regularly, but, but you're really just playing, like, like you said, you're playing church, you're playing the game. All right, so then now you're moving to the to the third thing, Dave. You say so. We've talked about how it begins and how it advances, and then finally, you say a spiritual slide destroys when we think there are no consequences for our actions, and we find this in verse twelve. Yeah, I think you know sometimes we'll read some verses and uh, you go, "Boy, I've read that before," but it just jumps out at us. For me, it's Zephaniah one twelve. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. And and I think there's this sad kind of sliding that uh, so occurs that we think God's not going to do anything about what we're doing. And... Um, you know, I, I mentored a guy, and this was him. He was successful in everything he did, um, married a wonderful woman, has a great career, known throughout his city, but he starts cheating on his wife, which I'll call cheating on his children as well. Mm. And he starts drinking drugs, when, but nothing happens yet. God hasn't dealt with him yet. So the higher he kind of rose in society, the lower he went in his morality and faith. And he couldn't and wouldn't stop until it all came crashing down. And he told me later is that um, he kept going because he hadn't had any consequences mm. until he hit rock bottom. And I feel like that's kind of what God's saying here, that, listen, you think you're getting away with it because you don't think I'm going to do anything. But it's a misunderstanding of the long-suffering patience of God. God, I think, giving us sometimes chances to come back to him on our own. But he loves us too much to let it go too long. Yeah, and I want to, uh, as an aside, um, but for, for all, of, all of you churches out there that are trying to create a, a disciple-making culture, I don't know if you noticed what Dave said here. You said, there's a guy I mentored. And, and I love, Dave, that you do that in your sermons a lot. That you're you're always talk you know you're making a point you're you're preaching this point which is great, but the language you're using is you're bringing an example of someone that you mentored. So what you're doing is you're saying mentoring's a thing, you know, or discipling someone. Um, so you're going to be encouraging those who are out there who are discipling people. You're going to be sort of doing a making a plug for mentoring in your church because maybe at the end of the message, you or one of the other pastors on stage is going to 
encourage people to sign up for a mentor if they want help um, coming back to God or stopping their spiritual slide or whatever. And so I, I love how, Dave, how you weave in this language of disciple making and mentoring. You just sort of effortlessly weave it into the sermon as you're preaching it so that you're making mentoring a thing in the church. Yeah, I, I have a core kind of leadership uh, principle, and that is leaders model what they want to see happen. Right. And it's the same thing with parenting. You, you, you need to model what you want to see happen. And to, to be honest with you, Brian, I didn't even think about this in this sermon. I think when disciple making becomes your DNA, right. when it becomes your passion, it just flows out of you. And I would say this with my three adult children now that it just flows out of them. They just think that's what Christians do. And I think as pastors, if we can model this more, talk about it, celebrate it more, it does, in a sense, change the DNA. It does impact the culture to be a disciple-making culture. Yeah, and of course, that means preachers, as you're listening to this, if you're not discipling someone, again, when, when we use that word, Dave, we, of course— Usually what we mean by that is that you're using the resources at PursueGod.org to invest in someone until they go full circle, and then they can invest in someone else. So when we talk about discipling, uh, we, try to, we try to connect it to the greater win, which is um, you know, all these tools that we put together. We really want to empower those disciple-making conversations. But preachers, if you're not doing it, then it's, like Dave said, it's not going to just come up naturally in your sermon or in your notes. So you can't fake it here. Right. No. Yeah. You can't fake it. It's it, it just, you know, when I became a Christian, I'd grown up in another religion. Somebody helped me greatly. They just taught me how to pursue God and then instantly how to start discipling people. Right. And I just thought that was Christianity, not growing up in the church. And so we've just passed that on to our children. We hope they'll pass it on to their grandchildren. That's just who we are and what Jesus has called us to do. Yeah. And again, one more thing is I love that you you actually call it mentoring. Now, again, in some church contexts, you can call it discipling, and those words are interchangeable. But typically on a Sunday morning, we like to use the word mentoring because it because a seeker, the uninitiated, can understand what that means, at least in some part. They they have a they have a category for that in their head. And and it'll get them to think, oh, that's interesting. So mentoring's a thing. I wonder if I could get a mentor or if I, I wonder if I could be a mentor. And so I love yeah, it. I think it's a, yeah. a less threatening way, and yet we we use them interchangeably all the time. But but I think most people are very open in today's culture to be mentored. Yeah, very open. Okay. So anyway, thanks for for that, Dave. And back to the to the point here. So again, you're saying that a spiritual slide destroys us when we think there are no consequences. And and verse twelve is so good. I love it that you know they think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. And, and what you're saying is, well, no, God, God's judgment is coming. That's what Zephaniah is saying to the people, um, which, again, is, might be a little bit of a shock at this point in the sermon, um, that, that God judges. And it talks about the day of the Lord's judgment, even. And you, you, you bring that up in the sermon at this point. Yeah, Zephaniah is a book about judgment. There's no way to get around it. Um, that God is unhappy with his people. God is righteous. But we're going to see kind of this balance of the attributes of God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a God of wrath and judgment. But at the same time, um, the story of Zephaniah ends up with a, a great
gracious God that doesn't want to pour out that judgment, doesn't want to bring about that calamity, if we will pursue him. And before we get to that last point, that hopeful point, one other thing I see in your notes that I, that I think preachers you might consider emphasizing, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, what you're saying there is that he specifically, God is specifically targeting leaders and you know, yes. prophets and priests. But I think for today, I, this is where, Dave, I don't know about you, but this is where I might, kind of, if I have time in the sermon, I might, I might start to just speak for a minute or two to the men in there. Men, you're supposed to be spiritual leaders in your home, for your family, for your kids. In our culture today, sadly, so many men aren't spiritual leaders. They're spiritual followers. Um, and, uh, and so I might just kind of call out men here and say, man, it's time for you to step up and be men. You know, don't, don't yeah, let the spiritual slide, think, your slide or the slide of your kids continue. Yeah, I think, you know, Scripture's clear about judgment begins with the house of the Lord, Scripture says. Uh, pastors, leaders, um, we incur a stricter judgment um, because we know better, because we teach the Word of God, but also dads, that, that God has given this incredible privilege to be servant leaders in our homes. And I think some men just are intimidated by that, threatened by that. They feel like they don't maybe know God's word enough. And that's why, again, I think being discipled, growing in your walk with God, uh, men coming alongside men to help men learn to be servant leaders at the home is so critical. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so then you end the sermon with this final point. So the first three points are about kind of how the slide works. And now you say, on this hopeful note, you end with this, no matter how far we slide, God provides a way of escape. And that comes from chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Yeah, and then in, in specifically, too, in verse um, 9, it says, Then I will purify the lips of the people, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Not only is God saying individually I'm gonna, I have the capacity to forgive you and to restore you, but corporately, there's this beautiful picture of this kind of corporate family community of people that are now not only back with God, but back with people. And that's so much like God, you know, it's about loving God and loving people. It's it's about worshiping God and it's about community. And um and then and then God ends up in twelve and thirteen just talking about um these wonderful people that are humble, this remnant that has survived, that they're not gonna do wrong, they're not gonna deceive each other, they're gonna sleep in safety, they don't need to be afraid, and they're gonna sing and rejoice. And so you know, God just keeps building kind of this crescendo, and then he does end with 18 through 20. I'm going to gather them who mourned. We're going to have festivals. They're not going to be disgraced. Um, I, I'm going to bring them home. And it's just this beautiful picture. Not only, I think, is the restoration of Jerusalem and the people of God, but also an imagery of heaven, this, this idea that one day God's going to make everything right. Yeah, that's good, because I would imagine at this point in the sermon, there might be some people out there in the crowd that are just, you know, under the con the heavy conviction of, of God's Spirit, like, and, I, and that's what we pray for, is that, is that people would listen and open their ears and their hearts to the message in Zephaniah. But you're ending on this really positive, 
hopeful note that this that the slide doesn't have to really ultimately destroy right that this that you can yes. stop the slide not not because of your strength or your goodness or your might but because of God's goodness and God's mercy on all of us you know the God of the God who is merciful in the Old Testament is still merciful today in the in the New Testament in, t- in today's world yeah and that's why I even have a section here for the pastor too um, I said God brings justice and judgment in order to rescue and restore. God's justice is still redemptive. God's justice is still gracious. He he wants to protect the world from corruption and evil and violence and false God. Um, He doesn't want things that end up hurting the people he loves. Um, He doesn't want people taken advantage of and abused. Um, And so God's enactment of justice in in the end, is very gracious, and it's it's very merciful. He wants us to treat each other well. He wants uh, people to flourish and relationships to work. And, and ultimately, his justice will bring about um, a new heaven and a new earth. It'll bring about great beauty that in the garden it was originally meant to be. Yeah, that's good. What's well, a great sermon? So the sermon is uh, it's on Zephaniah. It's week four in our Minor Prophets series called When God Speaks. The title of this sermon is When God Gets Replaced. Um, you can find all of Dave's manuscript notes. Uh, you can find sermon slides and, uh, of course, the sermon uh, curriculum for your small groups. Find it all at PursueGodNetwork.org in our sermon library. Feel free to customize it all and preach it for yourself, for your church.